Welcome back to the Daily Tech Start, where I share my experience working at a tech startup and the lessons I learned along the way. I'm Tony, and this is episode 17. So seeing as I got a handful of questions regarding the last episode, specifically around lab-grown diamonds, I thought I would give you a little bit more information on what I know and just break it down a little bit more simplistically. Um, I do have to preface this episode um, by saying that I am in no way, shape or form uh, a diamond expert, um, let alone a lab-grown diamond expert. I did, however, as I mentioned previously, write my master's thesis, my master's thesis on conflict diamonds, so I know a little bit about conflict diamond and the Kimberley process and the mining industry, the pros, the cons, the benefits, um, the people who suffer the most, um, and, I'll, and I'll elaborate on that a little bit more. But again, no expert. Um, it's not because I wrote a paper a long time ago uh, and did some research on it. And obviously, I did do a fair amount of research before I chose my engagement ring, specifically because I was looking for a diamond that wasn't a mine diamond and that was conflict-free. And I ended up doing a hell of a lot of research around these lab-grown diamonds. So I know a little bit about that. So really important for me to effort for for me to preface sorry that I'm no expert but it is a topic that I found absolutely fascinating and I'm more than happy to share the research with you guys of what I've done so what I thought I'd do today is I would break it down into three parts I'm initially going to focus on conflict diamonds and specifically I think spend a little bit of time on who suffers with conflict diamonds just to explain really how lab-grown diamonds came about and why and what they're trying to solve, some of the problems that they're trying to solve. I'll also talk to you a little bit about um, the Kimberley process, which is a system that attempts to increase government's transparency around um, only using diamonds um, that haven't created conflict. Then I think um, we can spend a little bit of time on lab-grown diamonds themselves, uh, specifically I think focusing the, here on the benefits and how we got um, to where we are today with the technology. And then I can absolutely share a little bit of information about the brand um, or, or the diamond, um, the lab-grown diamond company from where I got my own um, engagement ring from, which is called Vrai and Oro. Um, so I can talk a little bit about that. So... Blood diamonds are also called conflict diamonds. They're also called war diamonds or red diamonds. And it's a term used um, to define a diamond that's been mined in a war-torn area, particularly in Central and Western Africa. And these diamonds have been sold to finance, to finance sorry, um, an insurgency or an invading army war efforts or they financed a warlord's activity. So that's kind of the, the, the approved and the pretty well-known definition about what a blood diamond or a conflict diamond is. The UN, uh, so the United Nations, also um, defines conflict diamonds as, and I quote, diamonds that originate from areas controlled by forces or um, factions opposed to legitimate and internationally recognized governments and are used to fund military action in opposition to these governments or um, in contravention of the decision of the Security Council. Now, for many in these parts of the world, um, these diamonds are more um, a curse than they are a blessing, as you can imagine. Too often, the world's um, diamonds mines produce not only diamonds, but they also produce civil wars, violence, worker exploitation, exploitation environment degradation, um, and quite frankly, unspeakable human suffering. 
And, and this is where it gets tricky in terms of the definition of what a conflict diamond is, because the definition from the UN, from the United Nations, although it's correct, it's very, very specific. And a lot of people have argued that it's extremely narrow and ultimately doesn't cover all of the other sufferings. So maybe it covers the civil wars and the violence, but what about the workers' exploitation? What about the environmental degradation? What about the unspeakable human suffering? So there's been a lot of... Um, conversations around the very narrow definition that the UN can give and other uh, organisations have given to conflict diamonds. So who suffers? First of all, there's an aspect of human suffering. So apart from the innocent people who are caught up in the conflicts that the trade, the, the diamond trade fuels, thousands of men and women and also often children um, in countries such as Sierra Leone are used as slaves to extract these diamonds. Um, they are often, you know, forced to work in Primitive, what's often considered back-breaking methods such as digging into the mud or gravel along riverbanks river with their bare hands. And the collected material um, is, so the collected material that could hold the diamonds is then separated using handheld sieves. And all of this is extremely intensive work and, and it's done in some pretty harsh conditions, as you can imagine. The other aspect here is obviously local people are often completely excluded from any and all of the economic benefits of the diamond industry and the trade industry. In many cases, corporations operate without providing key information to communities. Um, the governments are failing to provide legal means for people to hold companies accountable. So the diamond trade does create this environment where the people who live on the land where the mines, diamond mines are, are generally being exploited. The governments are not being held accountable and neither are the companies. So we see this similarly in other industries such as the oil industry, the gas industry and quite frankly any other mining industry. And there's another aspect here which is there's the human suffering and then there's the ecological um, downfall. So extracting these resources whether that's oil, gas or, or, or diamonds for example um, in a lot of cases can contaminate the land um, and the water and the air, which has an effect here on affecting health and livelihoods. Diamond mining is also extremely inv invasive as a practice. Um, it's extremely invasive on the environment. And there's a third component here, which is actually diamond mines are drying up. So the companies mining and looking for these diamonds are having to go deeper into the earth and into even more remote locations. Um, and in doing so, they're irreversibly destroying ecosystems, wild habitat as well. So you've got the human suffering, you've got the, the, the damage that it's doing on the environment, and you've got the damage that it's doing also on the ecosystems and the wild habitats. And mining in generally has the largest carbon footprint form of any kind of, of human activity. And it is worth repeating that. Diamond mining as a whole has one of the largest carbon footprints of any kind of human activity. All of those reasons, and I'll talk about that a little later, but all of those reasons or, or all of these effects and causes um, are some of the key reasons why lab-grown diamonds um, are slowly starting to play a larger role and why more and more people are looking towards them. Now, it is worth saying that a lot of reports have estimated um, that as much as 20% of the total diamond production in the 80s, so in the 1980s, 
um, was being sold illegally or, you know, for unethical purposes. Now, out of that 20%, 19% specifically were conflict in nature. So to that UN definition. That being said, that was in the 1980s. Now, by 1999, um, the illegal diamond trade was estimated by the World Diamond Council to have been reduced to just 3.06% of the world's diamond production. And then the World Diamond Council reported um, that in 2004, um, that's 14 years ago, um, this percentage had fallen to approximately 1%, where people are estimating that that's where it's remained. So today, 1%. Um, of the diamonds um, are conflict by nature. Now, in 2000, there was a pretty big milestone um, in the diamond industry. So uh, in July um, of 2000, of the year 2000, the, diamond, um, the World Diamond Congress met in Antwerp and they adopted a resolution. The, the aim of the resolution was to strengthen the diamonds industry's ability to block sales of conflict diamonds. So the resolution, ultimately, what it did is it called for an international certification system or an international certification scheme um, on the specific export and import of diamonds. Um, and the idea was that all countries were to accept only officially sealed packages of diamonds um, for countries to impose criminal charges on anyone trafficking in conflict diamonds. And it also instituted a ban on any individual found trading in conflict diamonds um, as a whole. So that was in theory what was laid out. Now, and it's called this is this this process was called the Kimberley system. And the Kimberley system really did attempt to increase government's transparency and awareness by forcing them to sort of keep much better sort of track records um, of the diamonds that they were exporting and importing um, and how much they were worth. And so in theory, this would work. But in practice, uh, as we all know, it was a little bit more complicated. These diamonds changed hands so many times that ensuring that they were conflict-free, ensuring sorry, that they were conflict-free um, was, was actually much harder said um, than done, which is not an excuse. So that's more or less sort of the state of play today of where we're at with conflict um, or blood diamonds uh, and what the diamond industry has done so far. And then so in comes lab-grown diamonds. So what's interesting is that after decades of research and development over the past 50 years, um, scientists can now precisely replicate the Earth's natural process of a diamond. And I have to say, it's pretty phenomenal to think of how that progress was achieved. And I know that they, from research, this, this sort of idea started 50 years ago. Um, and so today, we can actually, well, scientists uh, with the right tools and the right technology can replicate the Earth's natural process of a diamond. So it's incredible to think that we can now grow diamonds in a modern day lab environment that are actually, in a lot of cases, far more beautiful, but also far more affordable than anything we would get out of the Earth. Lab-grown diamonds are actually just what they sound like. They are diamonds that are grown inside of a laboratory using pure carbon in a process that simulates what happens in nature. So what these, the technology in these labs are trying to do is they're trying to mimic the natural growth process of a diamond in a modern day and a very controlled environment to produce what we would call crystallized carbon. And crystallized carbon is a diamond. Ultimately, one of the biggest things here that happens as well is it speeds up the process pretty dramatically. Um, it 
Apparently it takes um, roughly two weeks to grow a diamond in a lab. Um, and what I found interesting with my research is that there's a fair amount of people who argue that it takes just a small amount of time to grow a diamond in the earth. So the very natural process uh, when diamonds are mined. But the issue here is even though the diamond um, takes two weeks to grow and to be fully fledged, um, it then sits there in the ground for millions and millions of years. And then comes back to everything I discussed previously, it takes an incredible amount of resources um, to then go and find and mine these diamonds. So the machines and processes used to make man-made or lab-grown diamonds have become more refined over the years. The technology has become more precise. And these now Silicon Valley-based companies are ultimately revolutionizing one of the most archaic and traditional businesses, that is the diamond industry. So these companies are companies such as Diamond Foundry, Ada Diamonds, um, and there's a plethora of other ones out there that are really focused on creating lab-grown diamonds. So what about some of the benefits? Diamond mining, as I mentioned previously, is extremely invasive on the environment. We know that mining has the largest carbon footprint form of any kind of human activity. Um, and lab-grown diamonds has seven times less the environment impact, the environmental impact, sorry, than earth-mined diamonds. So that's one of the first big benefits. It is very much on the carbon footprint and the environmental impact. Additionally, the earth-mined earth -mined diamonds industry has a long history of workers and human rights violation. And while there have been some key, key um, reforms, um, the blood diamond trade still exists today. Uh, there's no doubt about that. And jurors that offer conflict-free conflict -free certification and conflict-free diamonds are actually limiting themselves, as I mentioned previously, to the Kimberley process definition, to the UN's definition, which is very narrow in its definition and defines conflict diamonds as diamonds that finance rebel movements against recognized governments. What this definition, as I mentioned again, leaves out in a large, is what, sorry, what this definition does do is it leaves out a large number of diamonds that are actually tainted by violence, human rights, abuses, poverty, and all of the environmental, environmental degradation. There's another piece here is that jewels that do offer conflict-free diamonds, as I mentioned previously, the diamonds exchange hands so frequently that guaranteeing that is actually really, really hard. Um, the other thing that I found um, fascinating um, for me was um, that lab-grown diamonds are the only true eco-conscious, conflict-free and affordable option for consumers today that are, that are truly concerned about the origin of their diamond. It's guaranteed that it's conflict-free because it was created in a lab and very it passed through very few hands. Um, Mine diamonds, on the other hand, um, as I mentioned, change hands so many times. Um, so the guarantee really is much harder to do. Um, in an article from Wired, actually, recently, um, Martin Washensen, um, who's the CEO of Diamond Foundry, said, um, and I quote him here, um, lab-grown diamonds are nothing new, um, but Diamond Foundry is betting that improved technology and the evolving mindset around the ethics of mine diamonds um, have actually provided them with a window for disruption. And so this does require particularly perhaps even novel kind of customer, one who cares sufficiently um, about social values and sufficient threshold of a diamond's realness. 
And then according to Morgan Stanley, um, today's um, the lab-grown diamond industry only makes up just 1% of annual diamond sales around the world. Um, but that share is expected to rise. Um, and as I mentioned last week, um, it actually did come to a shock. It did come as a shock to many to hear that the beers um, will be, you know, joining this, this space and is going to start selling lab-grown diamonds as well. So that gives you a little bit of understanding of where we're at today with the lab-grown um, revolution or the lab-grown diamond industry. Um, it's pretty clear that even though they've been working on this for 15 years, the technology really has is pretty new in allowing it to really replicate um, diamonds to, to that extent. Um, so what's clear is even though you know, it's been in the works for a long time. The technology as we know it today is pretty brand new. And it sounds like we're just at the cusp um, of what has yet to come. So in my, in my case, I did a fair amount of research. Um, and this is, I think, more um, subjective than, than anything. But I decided to go with Vrai Anoro. Um, and because they had just a lot of information, um, Diamond Foundry is actually the parent company of, of Vrai en Euro. Um, Vrai en Euro is written V-R-A-I and Euro, O-R-O. Vrai is actually truth in French and Euro is gold in Spanish, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and they gave a lot of information about how their diamonds are made and they explained that they use solar technology um, to cultivate real diamonds uh, above ground through tech uh, and they do this in San Francisco and they mentioned it's 100% carbon neutral and it's 100% traceable um, and the Diamond Foundry which is their parent company really is growing what they consider real diamonds with the same beautiful characteristics as mine diamonds but they do it the right way or what they consider being the right way and really they are disrupting a very closed door industry creating quite frankly what I see as positive and sustainable um, changes along the way. Um, and they consider, uh, and this is obviously very subjective to them, but they consider that product is a better diamond because it is cartel free and it, does, it has zero carbon footprint. Um, other than all of the information they put out there and all the benefits that I see of, of going with a lab grown diamond, um, I actually really love the service at Vreonoro. Um, there you can choose... Um, three um, three rings or, or designs, and they will sell, send you a try try at home kit, which I kind of loved. Um, obviously, the the rings are, are not real um, and they're complete replicas, but you get to keep them. Um, we did this internationally, so there was a pretty big charge for sending it across. But we spoke with um, the customer support team, and they were willing to waive part of that of that charge as well. Um, I think you get to keep them when it's internationally, and and otherwise you you send them back. Um, but it's great to be able to see the ring on your finger before choosing. I'm a big, big, big um, fan of e-commerce. Um, I very rarely go and shop in stores. Um, so this allowed me to do this from the comfort of my home, which I really loved. The communication with them was was pretty seamless. And then similar to choosing any other ring, you've got a couple of designs you choose from. I loved from them because it was very simplistic designs and that's very much what I wanted. You weren't overwhelmed with choices and... Out of the 10-ish, I think, designs that you had, you could choose if you wanted it in yellow gold, white gold, or um, pink gold. And then you go and choose the diamond and you can go and have a look at the different lab-grown diamonds that are available based on the size and the carat. Um, and you get all of the information around the diamond yourself. So very, the process is very similar to, um, 
to when you go and look for a mined um, diamond, um, you get the same kind of certification, you get all of that information there. Um, so the process was similar. I think uh, on top of that, um, what else can I share? Um, shipping, um, costs weren't too high, it got delivered on time. We were very happy with um, the result. Um, huge amount of attention to detail, um, which I thought was great. You saw that in the packaging, you saw that in the customer support uh, as well. So I really love the company. I mean, it's probably at this point worth saying that I've not been paid to, to share this. This is purely my experience um, with them. But yes, so hopefully that answers all of the questions um, that I got from, from you all. That gives you a little bit of information on conflict diamonds and who suffers. Um, hopefully gives you a little bit more information on lab-grown diamonds. I actually think that because it's now part of Silicon Valley and it's part of the tech space and more people are getting interested, we're going to start getting more information and getting more, um, what's the word I'm looking for, more research and more articles written about them. So hopefully there'll be more information in the months and years to come. Um, I have to say that the research and information was pretty sparse um, so far. But hopefully this helps. I wish you all a great day.